Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, April 19th. We begin with our monthly chat with Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld. This time out, we get an update on what's being done to address the ongoing issue of violence in the city on both Calgary Transit and city streets. Still on the topic of violent crimes in the city, will increasing the police presence on Calgary streets improve public safety or should we look at bolstering social programs and services? We discuss the topic with Professor Rashmi Singh from the Department of Sociology and Legal Studies at the University of Waterloo. And finally, earlier this week, YouTube announced it will put protocols in place taking aim at kids and eating disorders in their content. We get reaction to the move from the Eating Disorder Support Network of Alberta and hear about the resources currently available in the province when it comes to support and education for eating disorders. Every month we have the opportunity to chat with Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld and look at the issues facing the city. Chief Newfeld uh, joins us again this morning. Good morning to you, Chief. Good morning, Andy. Thank you for taking the time with us. And I don't want to sound like a broken record, but it seems like, I, you know... uh, I can't count how many times we've talked about public safety on city streets and transit, and uh, we spoke with you about this last month. So I'm wondering, uh, one month later, uh, what can you tell us about the situation, how you see it, and if we're making some progress for citizens? Well, you know, it's been a busy and challenging month, as as you know very well. Uh, And yes, we have continued to talk about this, and I I think it's right that we do, obviously. Um, In terms of what's happened over the last month, I think it's been challenging in the sense that we've seen a, a localized spike uh, in violence and very, very highly public um, uh, interest in public spaces and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I came out last week to say that, you know, just to provide context, I mean, this is very serious and it understandably concerns Calgarians, but just by way of statistical co- context, we're not seeing a huge spike statistically, but we have seen, you know, some very public incidents that have caused concern. So, you know, we've, we've seen it across the board. We've seen domestic homicides in the last short while. We've seen violence on transit and in other public spaces. We've seen organized crime related shootings. So we've had some challenges right across the board. There's no question. Challenges for sure. We're not the only city seeing it. Um, you know, a lot of suggestions in terms of we need more officers. We need more boots on the ground. I know that's something that's sort of coming. It takes some time to get to that point. Is that the only answer we can come up with, though, Chief? Or is there more that the Calgary Police Service itself can kind of do? You know, great question, Sue. And I think it's one that's been asked a lot. I think really, you know, is it is it the answer, I think, or the only answer? I think it really def- depends how you define the problem. I think if you're a Calgarian right now that's in a public space and you're not feeling comfortable or you're feeling unsafe, you want to see, and we've heard that loud and clear, you want to see more police in those spaces. And, and what that does, obviously, it's a short-term solution that provides deterrence and it prevents crime in those spaces. And I think it's also really important for people to understand that when police are in those spaces, um, you know, they're out there 24-7 and interacting with uh, people who are um, you know, dealing with different vulnerabilities. So they, they actually develop relationships and become an important conduit to connecting people who require services to the services they require. So I, I think in the short term, that's a really important piece. So if, if that's where your concern is, then I think you're, you're, you very much want to see policing. But, you know, to your point, is that the long-term answer for uh, crime and disorder issues that are, you know, are motivated by uh, mental health or addictions? No, of course not. I think uh, police are just one part of a broader system that we have that starts with, you know, education and prevention and intervention all the way to the far end where you have uh, uh, investigation and enforcement where that's necessary. So some of it is a criminal justice solution uh, down at one end, but certainly that is that is not policing is not going to solve uh, these complex issues on their own. 
Chief, I want to take it back to a point that you made a, a couple of minutes back, which was, you know, the fact that the numbers aren't exactly supporting, and correct me if I'm uh, misquoting you, um, what we're seeing, but it's more uh, these high-profile and public incidents. And I know that policing in 2023 contains a whole lot of stats and analytics. So can we compare year over year, or is it a tough comparison due to the nature of the pandemic and, and the, the past couple of years that we've had? Yeah, it is. I think, you know, the, the stats, there's a lot of stats out there, Andy, and you, you can actually parse them a number of different ways. But I think, too, every time we've tried to compare back to the COVID years, we've been kind of cautious, recognizing that there was a lot of disruption and that those may not be the best comparisons. So what we've tried to do to smooth out uh, some of the challenges of the, of the COVID years is just basically take the five-year average. And that way we're, you know, we're, we're taking an average that includes years prior to the pandemic as well. So at the end of the day, you know, like I say, what we're seeing is the numbers, like when people say, well, violent crime or crimes out of control, that's not borne out in the numbers. Certainly, we've seen numbers as high or higher than we're seeing now. Um, you know, I mentioned the other day that when it comes to shootings, which is something we're always concerned about, on this day last year, we had 29. Uh, or sorry, uh, today we have 29. And on this day last year, we had 50. Uh, when it comes to homicides, uh, on this day last year, we had 10. And today we have five. So again, when it comes to some of the crimes, those are down. And yet when it comes to the some of the averages across the board and looking at, you know, assaults on transit and that type of thing, th those are creeping up. So I think we're seeing, you know, in the first quarter, what I would say in the first quarter of, of 2023, we're seeing the numbers creep up a little bit, but not not beyond what we've seen before. Uh, but I think to your point, there's some of it has been in very public spaces and it's been uh, garnering a lot of attention for a good and valid reason. Uh, but again, we, we don't have a crime epidemic going on. Can you talk about, Chief, your communications with the city and, and beyond that? What other, or do you talk one-on-one -on -one with organizations? Like, how is everybody kind of trying to come together? Because, yes, it is very uh, visual in terms of where these issues are happening, particularly on transit. And that makes the our everyday citizens be concerned for their safety. So how do you and what do you do to go about trying to get to the root cause of the problem and see how you can all kind of team up together and, and find a fix? For sure. Yeah, there's the, th there's the things you see. And obviously, we've uh, reprioritized uh, getting a lot of officers out onto transit and public spaces uh, with a much more assertive presence out there. And so Calgarians are seeing that. Uh, and that's important because I think they need to see that. In the background, obviously, at the city, uh, we talk a lot if, in, in terms of uh, the supports we receive, you know, from the commission, uh, from the city of Calgary, in terms of deploying resources and coordinating if we need, you know, public works to come out to clean up, you know, garbage or carts or whatever things that are actually, you know, have accumulated in public spaces or on transit stations that actually make people feel unsafe, like those supports are there right away. I think at a high level, what I what I would say is that, you know, even though we, we've disagreed over certain things, which I think uh, can be a sign of a healthy relationship at times over important issues where it comes to the safety of Calgarians, there's no light between the commission, um, the city and the police service. Uh, later today, as a matter of fact, we even have a, a meeting with uh, the province to talk about uh, some of the challenges that are going on uh, right across the province, not just in the big cities, but in the cities uh, as well. Um, you know, and, and they want to know what they can do to help out as well. So I think everybody's coming together, recognizing the challenges that uh, Calgarians and Albertans are facing. And like I say, everybody wants to make sure there's coordination across the system, right from, you know, from all levels of government to different ministries to nonprofits and try, trying to get the most out of the investments that are being made across the system. Chief, you mentioned, you know, uh, some collaboration and conversations happening across the province, but I know that within the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police, uh, there, there are communication channels. Uh, I'm wondering if those are being used since this is, seems to be a problem across the nation right now. And I know we have a unique city, 
But is this something that you discuss with other chiefs of police? And do you see other cities with a, a workable solution that might be applicable here for the city? You know, we do talk across the country there as a Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police. Um, I think uh, you would have been aware that the CACP wrote a letter to the provincial uh, premiers recently. In the past, I think CACP has focused a lot of its lobbying efforts on the federal government. But I think recently there's been a, a realization that policing is a provincial jurisdiction. Uh, and then, you know, the municipalities have a lot of skin in the game as well. So I believe that the request for a meeting has actually been uh, taken up. And I think that meeting is actually going to happen Friday. Uh, so we were meeting actually here in Alberta as police chiefs as recently as yesterday. And we'll have another one uh, today in preparation for that meeting. So, yes, we're always talking and always looking uh, beyond our borders, uh, both nationally and internationally, to see what's uh, happening and what lessons we can learn elsewhere. Chief, I know CPS always recruiting. What would you say to folks that are out there maybe listening and thinking, oh, do I, is this a, a job or a career that I'm interested in? What would draw me to that? What would you say to people who might be possibly thinking about joining the Calgary Police Force? Oh, man, that's a great question, Sue. I would just encourage people, uh, you know, if you want to be part of something larger than yourself and, and have a huge impact in your community, and if you enjoy teamwork and, you know, different assignments and and uh, and excitement, this is, this is a great career. Um, you know, we have great men and women that are out there every day. Uh, these are challenging times, and I think there's, you know, this is a time when Calgarians are really um, depending on and, and really engaged with their police service. And I, I know from our folks, they're, they're, they're feeling as though they're really, you know, they feel on, on one hand quite stretched, obviously, with everything that's going on, but they do know they're making a difference, and Calgarians know that too. So for anybody who's interested in that, uh, and that sort of aligns with their, their sort of passions and aspirations, uh, policing's a, a great opportunity, and we have lots of opportunities for you. Just before we let you go, uh, Chief, we got a text in from Gail. It's something completely off topic, but I'd like to pass it along to you. Gail says, I love Chief Mark Newfeld's voice. It's so authoritative and strong. He would be a great, amazing race partner. <laughs> so I guess we'll give, you, we'll give you till next month to consider joining the Amazing Race Show with Gail. And you can give us uh, your answer in, in May. Well, I, I thanks, Gail. If, uh, <laughs> there might be a possibility in the future there. I'll give that some time. <laughs> I just really appreciate uh, Calgarians and, and all the work we're doing together. These are difficult times, but le the police service and our men and women are really, really committed to the work and to Calgarians. So thanks so much for the support. Thanks for your time. And yes, we will be chatting in May. Thank you, sir. Awesome. Thank you. Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld. The province is investing in police and bringing 50 new officers to city streets. But does increasing officers on city streets do enough to address the safety issues on Calgary streets and across the country for that matter? Joining us to discuss is Rashmi Singh, Associate Professor, Department of Sociology and Legal Studies at the University of Waterloo. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks well, for having me. Thank you for being here. Well, what difference do you believe increasing the number of boots on the ground and police officers on city streets will have to curb violence and crime? So, as we know, this is a complicated and controversial issue. Um, but generally speaking, what police officers do offer in terms of safety is specific deterrence, which means that their presence will tend to deter any crime that might occur in their immediate vicinity. However, this is a short-term fix, and what this often does is just displace criminal activities. And so this is why many reformers are calling for more proactive solutions rather than reactive solutions. 
And we're certainly seeing a lot of violence, not just in Calgary, but major cities across the country in terms of on public transit and simply just on the streets of, of the cities themselves. So, you know, your thoughts, Rashmi, do we improve public safety by bringing in more officers or, or you know, is the, is the government, whether it's local, provincial or federal, is there something the government can do to help out here? This is where government funding for social services and non-police community organizations that play a vital role in public safety is critical. We do know that there have been some very high-profile incidents of violence on public transport uh, in Canadian cities. As we know, this is not exclusive to Canadian cities. This is happening all throughout North America. And in the Canadian context, we can see that this, these incidents are increasing post-pandemic. In Toronto specifically, several people have pointed out that there were drop-in centers for unhoused communities that were closed during the pandemic. And so it's no surprise that we're seeing increases in homelessness and Incidents involving people who have mental health issues and psychiatric issues who can't receive the help that they need. And based on my own research on domestic violence shelters and community organizations that provide services for individuals who are criminalized for domestic violence, and again, these are vital services, they are in a funding crunch right now. And all of the extra funding the short-term one-time funding that they received during the pandemic, those funds are running out. And this is why we're seeing those services really struggling right now. And I think that the next step is really recognizing how central a role they play in developing proactive solutions and in contributing to public safety. And the government needs to recognize this and provide ongoing stable funding for these agencies. We are speaking with Rashmi Singh, Associate Professor, Department of Sociology and Legal Studies at University of Waterloo. Having you, uh, you know, hearing you speak, Rashmi, over the past couple of minutes here and the answer you just gave us, I got the sense that maybe the issue is, and I want to get your thoughts on this, that there are so many players because you talk about police, we talk about law enforcement, um, you know, medical, psychological, the shelters, so many different players. Is this a communication and kind of a coordination issue to a certain extent? I think it might, it is to a degree. I think that there are particular funding structures that have been set up. So, for example, using Ontario, um, analyzing the situation in Ontario, we do know that in the, we Ontario, the, the province pulled back their funding for municipalities. And even conservative politicians, like the former mayor of Toronto, John Tory, has pointed this out, that it's devolution. So cuts to provincial funding for municipalities to provide these services for citizens because cities can't generate uh, the funds that they need just through property taxes. They require the supports of provincial government. So we do need to consider changing these funding structures. Municipalities need more help 
from both the provincial and federal governments. Um, and this is, you know, in the case of domestic violence shelters, they have been starved for funding for decades. And it's, it's partially because there's not enough, it's mostly because there's not enough provincial funding to support them. Uh, Rashmi, I mean, you're talking about Ontario as an example, but and that's within Canada, but are there other countries that are doing a better job addressing public safety issues, maybe doing better providing social supports, other countries that we can look to as examples? That's a great question. Um, as a criminologist, I tend to, who's also American, I tend to look at the American context a bit more. So, I mean, we're doing better in Canada in terms of having a more a stronger social welfare state. Um, But I do know of some services, uh, particular services that have been rolled out in the states um, that have, where they have seen um, some success. Um, There's an organization uh, in Portland that it, it appears to be both a nonprofit and a social enterprise. So they generate their own funding in addition to receiving government funding. Um, and so that's a more unique model. But they've been successful in providing housing and substance abuse services for individuals um, in, in a way that is more conducive to their to an individual's involvement in these services. So for example, they also offer um, a pharmacy on site in addition to a number of other services. So they've created this one-stop shop for individuals. And that's been an intervention that has so far been pretty successful. A very timely topic, uh, topic here in the city and across the nation. Thanks for your time, Rashmi. We appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's Rashmi Singh, Associate Professor, Department of Sociology and Legal Studies from the University of Waterloo. YouTube made a big announcement yesterday about the content they make available to kids, especially around eating disorders. Why is this so important? Well, we've got local partners serving Albertans affected with eating disorders, and we're sharing messaging on the issue and how it relates to us here in our local area. Joining us right now is Marlies Van Dyke, who is the executive director of the Silver Linings Foundation. Good morning to you, Marlies. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Good morning. Okay. We also have on the line with us Angie Mellon, Interim Executive Director of Eating Disorder Support Network of Alberta. Good morning to you as well, Angie. Thanks for being with us too. I think we've got Angie on the phone. Trying to anyway. So uh, Marlies, we'll start with you. Um, do we have any sort of stats on eating disorders in this sense? And, and really, uh, in fact, let's take a step back and, and what constitutes an eating disorder to begin? That's a good question. So we we often talk about disordered eating and that can translate into an eating disorder. So it usually starts like it's a continuum, right? So it might start with your young person is something is off. Um, they're not eating as much as they should. They're going to the bathroom, maybe excessive exercise. It usually shows up in the teens, women, boys, or girls and boys of all backgrounds so it can affect anyone it's not really about losing weight per se being skinny as uh, the first signal that somebody has an eating disorder let's uh welcome angie to the program angie mellon eating disorder support network of alberta good morning to you angie 
Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, good, good. Um, listen, let, let's ask you this because your network is the, uh, you know, Eating Disorder Support Network of Alberta in our province. How much of an issue is this? Um, it's a really big issue in our province. The global prevalence estimate uh, puts uh, it about 2.7 million Canadians suffer from an eating disorder. Um, there's other stats that show about 55,000 Albertans suffer from an eating disorder. And we really saw those numbers uh, go up during the pandemic as well. So I'm going to ask you, Marlies, we'll go back to you with this question, you know, with YouTube um, saying that they, they've got a new policy framework for eating disorder-related content. Is this important? Is this where kids, I mean, they, they get their ideas from a lot of places, but, you know, nowadays, really social media and things like YouTube, that's sort of where they spend a lot of their time. So is this an important move, an important decision for the health of our children? Absolutely. We do uh, applaud this step. This is a, a huge step in the right direction for these big social media platforms. Although, as you can imagine, like you said, people get influences from everywhere, school, their friends, uh, movies, and it doesn't necessarily restrict access per se. But the fact that people are talking about this more and more, eating disorders are sort of the quiet mental illness that many people don't want to talk about. The stigma is far greater than depression, anxiety and suicide. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because we we uh, from my perspective, and maybe it's just my head in the sand. We don't hear much about it, perhaps maybe unless you're in that world. So, Angie, if you can address resources currently available, not just in in our province, but in the city of Calgary, for those that are dealing with you know a, a teen or any family member for that matter with an eating disorder, how set up are we? Yeah, so. Calgary actually has really great resources. Marlies is part of the Calgary Silver Linings Foundation, and they offer support groups to people in Calgary and Southern Alberta. So that's a really great option for people in that area. And then also the us, the Eating Disorder Support Network of Alberta, we also offer support groups that are virtual, so they're open to people across the province. Not only that, there is support there in the public health care system as well. When you go to your doctor, there is options to get referred to programs such as the Calgary Eating Disorders Program or to publicly funded dietitians or psychologists. That way, so you can get support for those issues if they are arising. Marlies, can we blame social media? I mean, there always have been, you know, eating disorders, but can we blame social media now sort of as helping, you know, unfortunately helping to spread the word about what is out there, what is happening, and, and you know, maybe could it be blamed as a bit of a cause for increased numbers? We definitely think it's a contributor. Of course, not causal in nature, but I think if uh, if you're a parent with a teenagers or young, uh, young kids, looking at the social platforms your kids are using is really important, how often, how much, and which platforms um, I think is worth uh, the effort beyond this restriction by YouTube. And let's let's talk further. I'm not sure who would be best to answer this, whether it's uh, you, Marlies, or you, Angie. The fact that the double-edged sword that the Internet provides in that they might be getting incorrect information, our teens who spend so much time there, but it could be used for such good, for positive messages and as a positive resource. So I'm not sure who could handle that one. Um, I can take a stab at that. Um, it really... It is a double-edged sword. There is so much great information out there about 
uh, positive steps you can take, ways to improve your body image, that sort of thing. There is great information out there, but there also is a lot of harmful information out there. So we really want people to be critical about who they're getting their information from, examining who those sources are, making sure you're getting them from a wide range of body types, body sizes, making sure you're getting them from different people, um, just so you're getting a wide range of influences and not just uh, certain uh, nitpicked uh, uh, areas. I think that's really important that you, you get the information, but you get the correct information. We'll give uh, the website for the Eating Disorder Support Network of Alberta. It's the initials thereof, edsna.ca. And Andy, you've got the other one? Yeah, Silver Linings foundation.ca silver linings with an s foundation.ca it looks like some great resources mm-hmm. available here thank you so much to both of you really appreciate your time this morning it's an important topic we get into awesome. thank, you. thank you so much for having us thank you angie mellon interim D- executive director of the eating disorder support network of alberta and marlies van dyke who is the director of silver linings foundation